is episode three of the Scout Team Podcast. Hailing from Toronto West, we have JC Hall. Hailing from Toronto East, we have Brendan Yoshida and myself. Hailing from the Danforth, we have producer Will. And hailing from some gated community outside of the city, we have our lovely co-founder, Tristan Hunter. <laughs> now, last week we predicted we would come in here talking about how Roy Jones Jr. has died because he was killed by Mike Tyson in the fight last Saturday. But to our surprise, we have Nate Robinson as the one who who died. We never thought that uh, we would see uh, brutality such as that in the undercard. But here we are. JC, do you want to start off talking about what happened during that fight? I mean, it wasn't really much of a fight. Nate Robinson just got his ass kicked. Bro. And it, it was it was very concerning to watch. I watched that and actually felt bad for the man. <laughs> when I saw him sprawled out there on the canvas. And I mean, um, I just wish he would have taken it more serious because you don't play boxing, man. That's something you, you do when you've been training. And, you know, like to jump in there with a guy who's had professional fights under his belt, I don't think that was the smartest idea on his point. And I guess he learned the hard way. But, you know, hopefully he's recovering properly. Uh, anyone know if he's out of the hospital yet? Yeah, man, he's out. Are you sure? I think, he, I think he's still on the ring, face down, isn't he? <laughs> That's yeah, what I was man. Say. Like, <laughs> like we thought that honestly, when he got knocked out, it looked like Jake Paul sent him to purgatory. <laughs> but like when when we found out he didn't actually die, he was instead taken to Twitter purgatory. Twitter dragged him. <laughs> oh, they put man. his they put the cutout of this man's body in the NBA logo. Um, oh man they put his body on a tempurpedic mattress no yo you know which one got me when they had the cutout of 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 baby simba when mufasa died and they're like no get up nate get up nate <laughs> yeah that was bad <laughs> see that but here's bad. oh man here's the thing though like i understand people having some fun with it and all that stuff but i mean it it takes a lot to get in there and to put yourself out there this isn't this isn't the nba like you said or other sports where you're wearing all sorts of equipment and stuff like that he literally signed up to get punched in the face with the very real possibility that he was going to get knocked out um, why would he do that why i look i don't understand what his motivation is but it, at the end of the day it, it still takes it still takes it still takes guts to me um whether you win or lose to me getting called out and uh, and refusing to to answer the the challenge is a bit more kind of shameful than getting knocked out. Like he went, he tried. Well, who 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 got called out? Nate Robinson's getting called out by everybody. Man, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, prior to the fight, like him and Jake Paul were talking crazy to each other back and forth over the internet. And what really hurt Nate Robinson is that even before this fight, if you look back on like his Instagram stories and stuff like that, he he does like he doesn't box opponents but he kind of does you know people punch the bags and stuff mm. look like that they're <laughs> Man, training anyone boxing. with a gym membership could do that yeah but that's what he's been doing so he's portrayed that he's this guy who could step in the ring at any time and a lot of people think that because you're a professional athlete in one domain you can just switch over to boxing like it's nothing well it i think what work like that i think what really hurt nate robinson was jake paul's fist but i'll let you have that one <laughs> Yeah, man. this man, this man didn't even have, you know who I blame for this? I blame his trainers for this. 
The guy didn't put up his hands at all. No, yeah, like he, he, he went in there with his hands down, just, just, just flying around trying to look for any type of punch that he could get in on Jake Paul. But like, you got to defend yourself, brother. This is boxing. You can't expect to go in there and take punches without trying to defend yourself and expect to come out with a win. I don't you watch. Know, that's a, yeah, I don't watch boxing or MMA or anything like that. But even I know if someone's gonna try and punch me in the face, I'm gonna try and block it. You know, it's something other than my chin. Yeah, it's cr- <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like it's um, we're we're not boxing experts clearly on this podcast, but I know that the first rule of boxing is that you're not supposed to drop your hands. Exactly. As soon as you drop your hands, you're just opening up the opportunity for somebody to knock you out. And yeah, since the beginning of ran, every fight protect yourself at all times yeah and he just kind of ran yeah so here's the thing that bothers me about uh nate robinson losing not necessarily that you know he tried to go out there and show that nba athletes can do other sports and he failed and all stuff like that i am most pissed off that jake paul got the win because that that guy sucks as a human being he just sucks and i did not want to see him i don't wish ill on anyone but I don't mm. wish success on him either. So that's what, that's what pissed me <laughs> off the most was seeing him come out of there with a, a win. And now he's going on about how he'll fight any athlete anytime. He wants to beat McGregor. Like this inflated his head. I wish Nate Robinson would have won to take this guy down. Well, Nate Robinson has to be a real fighter in order to, you know, he has to fight someone that's a real fighter in order to get humbled. Nate Robinson wasn't that guy. I would love to see him go against McGregor. <laughs> well, what would you do if he came out and he beat McGregor? I'd shut my mouth. If this guy, if this guy beats McGregor, yo, McGregor has to retire. He has to stop talking about Khabib. He has to stop talking about how he's the greatest of all time. Mm. It's um, because McGregor's been he's been losing more than he's been winning. Recently, if you want to look at his last few fights, um, they haven't been as impressive as what we've seen him do. His prime, they weren't as dominant. Yeah, and it's been it's been a few years. The last win he had was against like Cowboy Speroni, who's like 40. So the, the difference between his losses, though, and someone like Jake Paul is he was going up against the best of the best. Jake Paul was going. Yeah, up Jake Paul's going up against Nate Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think a there's slam gonna... dunk champion? <laughs> do you think there's going to be a part two between Jake Paul and Nate Robinson? I feel like Hell no. absolutely not. Hell no! You can't go if Nate like Robinson. That. If Nate Robinson picks up another pair of gloves, I don't know. Like I, I don't know. If I'm Nate Robinson, I want to get back in there. I don't. I don't want that to be my only exposure. I'm fighting high school kids. If I'm Nate Robinson, <laughs> nah, nah, high school kids will get him. Yo, these <laughs> Yo, kids have these kids any, have energy. That's what I'm saying. But he can't fight anyone who's like in the pro circuit at this point. Like he's gonna get destroyed again. I know he's got to train for years to do that. Yeah, man. Plus, my, he's my, getting older. My thing is he kind of has to go back in the ring because it's not only that he was talking reckless on the internet. He was saying things like, I'm doing this for the community. I'm doing this for all yeah. NBA players. Nah, and man. You see how you quickly they to... clap back? Yeah, you can't go <laughs> like, out like no, that. No, no, no. If you're going to go out like that, you have to do a rematch. You you can't let that be not with Jake Paul. the memory. Yeah, I'm not... No, no. You he have to. to. You have, have to go against And get knocked Paul. out again? Well, but you need to take it more seriously this time instead of just bouncing around like did he do he any needs training? like four years of training if he's gonna get like a, another rematch to jake paul he, you're he giving jake paul way too much credit you're giving jake no paul i'm no 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 i'm saying nate robinson sucks that much <laughs> okay, it has okay. nothing to do with okay. jake paul <laughs> like that was atrocious what i saw there on last week 
That was this, horrible. This this reminded me where like Nate Robinson's kind of attitude towards this fight um, kind of reminded me of something I'm sure all of us have said when we've seen like terrible sporting performances where it's like, oh, I, you could put me into an NBA game and I'd get a basket or I could complete a pass in the NFL. It's just get lucky once in a while. No, it doesn't work like that. We saw that with the Broncos quarterback too. And talent. And Tristan, I sing in the shower. Does that mean I should go on American Idol? Hell no. Haven't heard you no. sing in a shower, so I can't give you, can't give you a good, <laughs> Stop it. good answer. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> no, but Nate Robinson needs a, a lot more training and development if he's going to hop in the ring with another at least semi-pro fighter. But that's what, what I'm mean? saying. If I'm Nate Robinson, I'm taking the time to do that training so I can come back with a better performance. I don't want this to be my only performance. Well, holla at me in 2023. How about that? When the lockdown ends? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, Anyways, let's let's go to the, the 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 main event from Saturday night. Um, what did you guys think about the Tyson and uh, Roy Jones fight? Even though it was an exhibition, in quotes, um, I I personally think that if it wasn't an exhibition, Mike Tyson would have kicked his ass. Like he would have knocked him out too. But um, I was more excited for this fight before I heard all the stipulations and rules. How they're like there were no knockouts and whatever else the other stipulations were but like you could see that tyson wasn't really trying to hurt him because he just kept going like body shot body shot and even those were hurting roy jones but i mean at least they lasted the full whatever eight rounds and didn't end up like nate robinson you know (laughs) that's a good point um i really do feel like um first of all this this whole event was for charity so that's really good that a lot of money got donated i'm not sure what charity unless somebody can fact check that i'm not sure what charity them a lot of the money went to but this is really good to see Mike Tyson and Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones, um, yeah, do an exhibition match because the, both of those guys are in their fifties. So it shows that if you commit to something, no matter what your age is, um, and you put your focus in, you can train physical activity at any age. It doesn't matter if you're like fat, haven't been at a in action for a long time. Like you can, you can achieve certain fitness milestones at any age that you didn't think that you would be able to achieve otherwise and um sugar uh, sugar way roy <laughs> jones jr he did not want that smoke like he was taking those body shots and he was clenching yeah. mike tyson he at the end tired. of the fight, yeah he was gassed at the end of the fight mike tyson looked like he could go again he could run it back yeah <laughs> roy you jones know? jr didn't want any of that smoke tyson looked like he was in very good like apparently he lost like a hundred pounds over the last year leading up to this fight. That's uh, like what he was saying in a couple of interviews and stuff. And Roy Jones and you, out I'm here sure. looking like uncle Phil. <laughs> oh man. RIP. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> Roy Jones jr. Wasn't looking in the best shape to be honest, but Mike uh, was fast. His hands looked fast still. Yeah. He looked like he Terrifying. didn't miss a beat, you know, for, for 54 or whatever he is. That was, that was some impressive stuff that we were watching, you know? You can um, tell Mike wasn't trying to really kill him. No, you could. That's what I was saying. Yeah, like definitely he, he, not. He took know? it to heart because the old Mike Tyson would have took his head off. And yeah. <laughs> Roy Jones Jr. knows that with the amount of clenching he did in that fight, he understands mm-hmm. that if you get in the close quarters combat with Mike Tyson, at any time you can get knocked out. Mm-hmm. I was just waiting for that uppercut to slip through the, slip through the clench there, but I'm like, it's not that type of fight, hmm. you know. But shout out to Mike Tyson for real because, you know, that training and dedication that I'm sure we all saw the videos leading up to the fight with of him training. 
And, you know, last couple of years, he's really turned his life around. Like you said, this whole fight or he did, he donated uh, his proceeds. I'm not sure what Roy Jones did, but I know he donated his proceeds to charity. I think he has his own charity called um, the Mike Tyson cares foundation. Uh, I believe it's based out of Brooklyn and he basically just aligns with other charities in the area to help lower income individuals kind of like help find uh, footing in society, you know? So shout out to Mike Tyson for that. He's really turned his life around from the last few years, you know, when he was like abusing drugs and alcohol a lot. So, you know, we're happy to see the turnaround. How does everybody feel about the, the draw? Uh, I feel like you kind of saw it coming just because it was a charity fight, but we all know that even, even without Tyson actually kicking his ass, Tyson won that fight just because of the amount of clenching and holding that Roy Jones had to do. Right. Tyson was, Tyson was eating him all day, all, 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 all fight long. I think they had to make it a draw to save people's reps. Yeah, that too. Plus yeah, it is charity, right? So it's not like it's the biggest deal. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, well, before I ask that, Tristan, how do you feel about the draw? Uh, I mean, I always prefer to have a winner and a loser, but I, I definitely get it in this situation. It's a, a charity mm-hmm. event, so um, no sense in, you know, these are both professionals who have their records over their lifetime, uh, not necessarily on the line with this, but you don't want to have any sort of asterisks in there for a loss from a charity event. That makes sense. Uh, does anybody think that there's going to be a part two between Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson? Or do you think that there's another opponent for Mike? Because I've, I've been reading a lot of rumors about potential matchups in Mike Tyson's age range that if he were to try to make, not like a comeback, but another event such as this, who he could potentially go against. It needs to be more entertaining, though. There needs to be less of these rules. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think if it's another exhibition, maybe Roy Jones would do it again. But if it's an actual sanctioned fight, I don't think Roy Jones wants that smoke at all. I think if, if they set up an actual fight, Tyson would probably fight someone else. Roy Jones Jr. doesn't want it. I'll tell you who I'd pay to see. Mike Tyson and Jake Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not even the same weight class. I'll, I'll help sponsor the funeral. <laughs> well, you really have a deep dislike for the Paul brothers. Well, I mean, first of all, how could you not after some of their YouTube shenanigans with, with the forest and all that stuff? But also, how do you come in the pre-fight interviews and, uh, and pressers and start unprovoked, start talking about Nate Robinson's kids? Don't talk about his family. You talked about him. He, he talked about I his kids. He came on after the weigh-in and he was talking about uh, Nate Robinson's kids. Don't watch your. Don't watch this fight. I'm going to embarrass your daddy on television. Don't watch this fight. Like, look, What's you want wrong? to talk? Doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter though. Yeah. Leave his kids out of it. Oh man, you don't think it was flat that he was wearing Nate Robinson's jersey at the party after? Mm. That was foul. I didn't see that. <laughs> that was foul. I didn't see that. <laughs> Anyways, that's what oh, grinds my gears. Just leave leave the man's kids out of this. It's between you and him. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. That, honestly, that was a that was a really great weekend. Um, it's, it's great that if we saw what Mike Tyson was, well, we didn't see, we weren't alive. None of us were alive for his prime really to really take in his prime. But if you look at Mike Tyson and the journey that he's, he's gone through since he went to jail and since he came back and really changed his life, 
Mike Tyson has went from a convicted felon um, to coming out of jail and really making a difference for, for a lot of people. A lot of athletes, um, they look up to him. He has a podcast called Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson where he has a lot of people on. He, he talks with them. He does a little interview, a little conversation, and he gets really introspective. Um, he, he really does. He really is a changed man. He donates to charity. He has his own charity. And he talks about a lot of things that men don't really speak about. He talks about his greatest fears. Um, he cries on his podcast. A lot of things that men feel like they don't have to do because they think we're too masculine to really cry and show vulnerability in public. Um, he's really introspective. The man says that he's working on the art of humbleness. And that's something that the Mike Tyson of old, we would have never expected to really hear come out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah. considering... Um, we knew him as a killer. Like, that's what he did. Yeah. He was the baddest man on the earth. He was knocking people out. People feared him. And he went from that to really making a transformation, getting off drugs, getting clean, and to becoming a positive force in the world. So um, shout out to Mike Tyson once again. Yeah, I didn't even know he had a podcast. So I might check that out. It's an unreal name, Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. That's yeah. so clever. Yeah, yeah he, he he owns his own weed business now, eh? Yeah, man. He's it's been called, Tyson Tyson Holistics, you know, so he's making money <laughs> off that weed, the weed game now, you know, so yeah, for real shout out to Mike Tyson for uh, turning his life around and being a positive uh, impact in society. Yeah, right man, now. I was listening to the Sugar Ray interview. I'm not, I'm not even gonna lie. Like I was listening to it at work and I was tearing up at work when he started when Mike Tyson <laughs> started crying at work. Like I felt I had to go in the truck. Like my eyes were starting to water up a little bit because because <laughs> his voice started to crack and stuff. And I said, "Is yeah, Mike Tyson yeah. crying? Mike Tyson's yeah. crying." And you would never yeah. you would never really expect that from a yeah, guy like Mike showed, Tyson. He showed that same vulnerability when uh, he did an episode of Russell Wilson's podcast a couple of weeks ago too. It, same thing. You could hear his voice start cracking up and stuff, and it's like, "Wow, this guy's actually crying." crazy yeah you would he never said, thought mike tyson would be that type of guy right he, he said that every time he stepped in the ring he was scared and, yeah he did say that mm-hmm. and he talked about um he was at war with his ego and he mm-hmm. he didn't do it for the money he didn't do it for the fame he did it to be told that um he wanted somebody to tell him that they were proud of him and that he was somebody and okay. i feel like deep down inside that's what a lot of people want to hear mm-hmm. um but they kind of put on a facade and that was a really raw moment for, for Mike Tyson because he looked up to Sugar Ray. He talked um, about how he, when he was in jail, he was watching Sugar Ray's fights and it, like it really inspired him to, to kind of make a little bit of a turnaround. And on that podcast, a lot of people, they, they feel like they can open up to Mike just because of the person that Mike became um, Sugar Ray on this podcast, he talked about how he was sexually abused by his his trainer. And he said, I don't know why I'm even saying that right now. I've never said it before. And that's just the type mm. of person that Mike, Mike Tyson has become. A lot of people come on the podcast. They see him open up and become vulnerable. And then they feel the same. They kind of reveal information about themselves that we would have never known about them if they didn't go on the Mike Tyson podcast. So it's um it's really great to see um the positive impact that Mike Tyson has had on his peers.
speaking of positive impacts, we uh, we saw a pretty massive trade this past weekend where a couple of players in the NBA switched teams uh, with uh, John Wall and Russell Westbrook being swapped for each other with a draft pick thrown in there. Um, which one of those two guys, Brendan, do you think makes the biggest impact on their new team? I think uh, Westbrook makes the biggest impact for sure on his new team because he's going to be number one. Uh, he's the number one guy there. Although Bradley Beal is an all-star caliber player, uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that Bradley Beal is happy with the way he might fit with Westbrook on the Wizards in the future. So uh, I'm assuming he's going to be willing to let, um, what's his name, Westbrook take the reins, uh, just like how he used to let John Wall take the reins. Um, in terms of actually, I'm going to talk about who actually won this trade. And I think the Wizards won this trade. Um, I think the Wizards won this trade because they instantly get better because they won. I think Westbrook is a tad bit better than John Wall in terms of, uh, I guess, just getting to the basket um, while actually playing a game, a couple games in the season, um, not coming off too, too serious of an injury either. Uh, and the Wizards, actually, I think they're, they're fighting now for like a bottom, bottom tier uh, playoff team in the East because they have a pretty solid lineup. They have, uh, I guess their starting lineup is Westbrook, Beal, uh, Hachimura, uh, would it be Thomas Bryant and probably uh, Bertans, I guess, is their starting lineup. Didn't they just so draft that Israeli kid too? Oh, yeah. They just, yeah, he'll come off the bench with, um, I believe his name's Troy Brown as well. Um, mm. So I think they have a solid team now. Uh, Westbrook definitely makes them better, I think. And uh, yeah, I think Westbrook and Beal might work well. Or it might work better than Westbrook and Harden did. Hmm. JC, what do you think? Um, I disagree. I think Houston won the trade. Um, just a couple of things. Me personally, I've always been an advocate, or not an advocate, but I've been a firm believer in the fact that you will never win with Westbrook as your number one option. That's me personally. I, I just don't think that he's the type of guy to lead you to the promised land. Damn. Here's, I've been saying this though. Here's a couple couple stats. Westbrook last year shot a career high field goal percentage with Houston. Actually, that he did. I may I checked these stats probably this morning. That's crazy. Um, but he checked. He he shot a career high in field goal percentage, and you know why that was? It's because they had no bigs. Russell Westbrook was essentially their point center, just slashing and getting layups all day. Right now, when you go to Washington and you have actually some big guys on that team that are going to be clogging up the paint, he's going to resort back to old Westbrook of just clanking up shots and just clanking, 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 you know? Um, I also think that, so because Westbrook last year also shot his second worst uh, three-point percentage of his career last year with uh, with Houston, and because of what I was saying with um, all those guys in Washington that are going to be clogging up the paint, he won't be able to get to the rim as much, even though Westbrook's the type of player to get to the rim whenever he kind of wants. It's going to be harder than it was in Houston. So like I was saying, he's going to revert back to dashing up threes and shoot probably another career low. John Wall with Houston now, I think he has the potential to work better with Harden just because uh, John Wall is a better playmaker than Westbrook. He's a more, they shoot more or less the same field goal percentage, but John Wall is definitely the better three-point shooter, even though he doesn't take as many threes. He doesn't even really need to because he'll be able to create for his teammates and then can defer to James Harden when he needs to. 
It's also going to be nice watching John Wall and Boogie kind of, you know, get back together like they were in college, even though between the two of them, they only have two working Achilles. So <laughs> we'll see how that works. But I think that John Wall and Harden together is going to be a better tandem than Westbrook and Beal, just because, like I said, you can't win anything with Westbrook as your leading guy. We saw that in OKC. We saw that in Houston. And I, I don't know, Bradley Beals is going to get upset. I, th- I think that Bradley Beal is going to, he's going to regret wanting to play with Westbrook at some point. And it's going to come down to John Wall being able to facilitate and be a better playmaker in Houston than Westbrook is in Washington. Justin, what do you think? I really do feel like, I feel like this trade kind of worked for both teams, but I don't think that both teams are any threat to either of the conferences that they're in. Washington did well in the trade because they got rid of John Wall's contract. He hasn't played basically in two seasons almost because of his uh, injuries. And Harden Westbrook at this stage in their careers and what both of them do on the court, they don't fit schematically. So Westbrook had to get moved. And because both of those guys are on super maxes, realistically, the only teams that could make that trade for them are another team that has a superstar player on a super max contract that they can move because no team wants to absorb the contract that they currently have. I think that this is going to help. This is going to help Houston more just because James Harden might be able to play more off ball now that John Wall is there. I read a quote somewhere. I don't know if it's true because Instagram and all that stuff, there's a lot of false information and rumors. It said that James Harden didn't want to play this way. That was a loose quote. So what I interpreted from that is a kind of the, the D'Antoni scheme where he relies heavily on analytics in order to do his offensive scheming, scheming. And James Harden used to play off the ball. And ever since mm-hmm. D'Antoni got there, he never played off the ball. He has a very high usage rate. He, he plays a lot of minutes. He never gets hurt. So he's, he's playing all 82 games for the most part. And he's playing 38, 39 minutes a game. And I truly believe that at this stage in Hart, James Harden's career, he doesn't want to play that way anymore. His body's going to break down. Answer John Wall. You have John Wall as a guy who is a floor general, who is willing to pass the ball. So Harden's going to get his touches. And he has a better point guard eye than Russell Westbrook. So I feel like that this can work if James Harden is willing to play off ball and allow John Wall the ability to be the floor general. That's the only way that situation is going to work out. Um, I think that post Achilles surgery, he's going to be okay because he tore his left Achilles. Even though John Wall is a right-handed player, he's dominant with his left. All his finishing moves, his favorite side is his left. So because he tore his right Achilles, he should still have all of his explosion that he had prior. It won't matter because he, he would need to explode. Achilles. Yeah, he, he would need to explode off of his right mm-hmm. for his finishing moves. So yeah. in terms of this John Wall, has he lost a step? I don't think this the Achilles injury is really going to affect him because he doesn't explode the direction of the Achilles that he tore. So he'll be fine for that. In terms of the Eastern Conference, I don't really think this moves the needle for Washington in the East all that much. Yeah, they have some guys. They have some... They hit on the draft last year, Hachimura. They have Westbrook, who's very durable. He's a good influence on young players. He plays hard every game. Say whatever you want about Russell Westbrook. You can't accuse him of playing low-effort basketball. You, you can't. 
you can't do that. And Bradley Beal can shoot and shoot at a very high level. And I believe that Russell Westbrook will find him. But in terms of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference, I don't really think that Washington is a real threat. Yeah, I was telling just when you guys left that I think technically to be real, both those teams lost a deal. Why is that? Oh, yeah, you think they lost? They both lost because well, thing Wizards get Westbrook, who's now the whole team. Mm-hmm. Houston just trade away Westbrook for one first round pick when he probably could have gotten like three from a team that didn't have to give up Wall. Well, if you find a team like Charlotte that's willing to just give out money for no reason, then yeah, and they picks could've... like they might they might they might have been able to send him back to OKC. Who knows? <laughs> All right, so last week we had a debate about our picks for Defensive Player of the Year, and we took it to the polls so that you guys could give us some feedback. And it seems like your overwhelming favorite so far is Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year. So we'll see how that turns out when the uh, NFL awards are announced later on this year. Sticking with football, uh, Tampa Bay has a record of 7-5 and five right now. And after majority of those losses, the golden boy Tom Brady has been heavily criticized by his head coach, Bruce Arians. Now, as a Saints fan, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this segment and watch Why? you guys go at it because you we have some Tom Brady haters in this group and we have some Tom Brady fans in this group. So I'm just going to watch you guys go at it. I think and just one it, hater, just me probably. Hey man, yeah, Drake said one. Drake said jealousy is love and hate at the same time. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right, looks like you guys are ready to go at it. So anyways, question is, who's really to blame? Is it Tom Brady or is it Bruce Arians? All right, so I guess I'll go first. I assume Justin that you are going to say that uh, Arians is the biggest part of the problem here. So let me take the Brady side of the argument. And in, before I get started, in fairness to Brady, there are a number of reasons why a team goes seven and five. Um, it's not the fault of one player only. It is a team sport. Um, of course, there's a lot of guys on the field at any given time in the NFL. Um, and uh, it never really does come down to one play. So uh, I'll preface my arguments with that um, and not put the entire say that I'm not putting the entire load on Brady's shoulders. But to me, I think that uh, Brady's ego seems to be one of the biggest issues that's holding the Bucks back from being truly successful. And in the context of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, by successful, I mean dominant, because that is what should be expected from a Tom Brady offense that has the likes of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio, Bra- uh, Antonio Brown, uh, Rob Gronkowski, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and even Cameron Brait. We've heard over the past week or two that uh, Tom Brady seems to be calling the plays. And if this is true, it seems to be that this is to his own detriment. He is giving off the appearance that he is determined to prove people wrong, whoever those people may be, whether that's Bill or uh, people in the media who aren't showing him as, as much love as he thinks he deserves. Um, and he seems to be showing, trying to show that he can win football games with a new team, a new coach, and a brand new approach. Arian said in the media that he puts the plays into the playbook that Tom wants him to. He also said that Tom calls the plays during the game. Now, if those plays aren't working and Tom keeps sticking with them, then this has to fall on Tom's shoulders. 
if everything Arians is saying is true, and I don't know that it is, but if it is, then Tom's ego seems to be the biggest problem here. It makes it harder for Arians to coach him and create game plans that play to his strengths. I'm not sure that Bruce Arians is ever going to be the level of coach that someone like Bill Belichick is. And I'm not trying to say that if Tom just took a step back and gave Arians free reign to make whatever game plan he wanted to, that Arians' game plans would suddenly be dominant and, and they would be picking teams apart. But what I'm saying is it makes it harder if Tom is calling the shots behind the scenes there. And we saw sort of the relationship between Brady and Belichick deteriorate towards the end of Brady's time in New England. Now, a lot of people were very quick to chalk it up to being just the, the deterioration of a relationship um, that was bound to happen because these two guys had been together pretty much every day in a competitive environment for around 20 years. Well, it's been less than one year in Tampa, and Arians also seems fed up with him. He's frosty in his post-game interviews, and he's, he's quick to cast blame on Tom when things go wrong. And at a certain point in time, I think we have to acknowledge that Tom, Tom might have to shoulder some of the blame. And truth be told, we're quick to condemn other players around the league who pull the same stunts that Tom does. For example, just a couple of quick examples. Odell Beckham Jr. has been getting destroyed in the media for having emotional outbursts on the sideline during games. When Tom does the same stuff, he's labeled as passionate. Vernon Davis a few years ago, it's a little bit dated now, but a few years ago got sent to the locker room mid-game for refusing to listen to his coach. Tom Brady is called the GOAT, and people say he knows what is best when it comes to calling plays or making a game plan. Rodgers also gets killed all the time for friction between himself and coaches, but people blamed Bill and are now calling for Arians' head when the relationship between Tom and his coaches fell apart a little bit. So my question is, what makes Tom bulletproof? What makes him so much less culpable than all these other players around the league? Considering the fact that many people consider him to be the best of all time, he should be expected to come into what is admittedly a new situation and dominate with these weapons around him. He's smart. He's seen everything there is to see. He's been in every situation. And now he has playmakers around him like he's never had before. I understand that it's a new system, new players, and chemistry is a big part of success in the NFL. But he was brought in to hit the ground running. He wasn't brought in to slowly learn a new system and get acclimated to new players. He was signed with the expectation that he was the missing piece to take them to a Super Bowl. And he's been at it for 11 weeks now, and there are no signs that he has started to really click with the guys around him any better now than at the beginning of the season. If Tom actually has tied Arians' hands and is essentially calling the shots and those shots aren't connecting, I say the blame lies squarely on his shoulders. Tristan brought up a lot of really good points about his assessment on the Tampa Bay situation. I also acknowledge that one player isn't enough to place blame on. One coach isn't enough to place the blame on um, for a team's success or failures. Now, when people question Tom Brady's ego, of course he's going to have an ego. He's a football savant who plays the most important position for team success in professional sports. The quarterback. Quarterback is the leader of the team, and he has to lead. Both Bill Belichick and Bruce Arians have stated that Tom Brady gets chewed out publicly and in meetings just like any other player on the team. Tom is no stranger to accountability. You mentioned that Bruce Arians seems fed up with Tom. I don't really get an indication of that. Bruce Arians has had a history of publicly calling out um, quarterbacks and players on his team that aren't really 
performing to his expectation. He's pretty candid with the media and has been for a very long time. Um, there's a video of Bill O'Brien yelling at Tom Brady and he's just taking it. He's not really talking back to him. He's just taking, he's just taking the criticism and moving on. Multiple coaches and ex-teammates say that Tom doesn't get any type of special treatment to where he is above criticism. Um, in press conferences, Tom Brady compliments teammates. When they lose, he doesn't throw coaching staff or teammates under the bus. He talks about things that he needs to do better. He credits his coaching staff and his players for playing well. He admits that it's a team game. And unless everybody does their part, they, they're not going to succeed as a team. Tom Brady never makes team success all about him. You don't really see ex-teammates saying negative things about their time playing with Tom. You see the opposite happening. You see praise. Chad Ochocinco, Dion Branch, Teddy Bruschi, a lot of a lot of players who have retired and have media roles. Like they speak a lot of good things about Tom. Ex-coaches, um, you have Chris Sims, who has his own podcast. He coached in New England for a year. He talks about how Tom Brady gets chewed out just like anybody else. He's not above anybody else. Now you mentioned guys like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' ex-teammates talk crazy about him. They don't all praise him. You mentioned OBJ. OBJ's antics are the reason why the media roasts him. Um, every quarterback in the league yells at their offensive linemen. That's not a Brady thing. Um, you mentioned Vernon Davis. I'm not sure what that situation was with him, but he probably did deserve to get sent to the locker room. Now, Tom Brady has also shown strong support for his teammates who have struggled, like Josh Gordon, who had his addiction issues, showed a lot of support for him during his tenure with New England. And Antonio Brown, he, he admitted that he grew up with privileges that other players did not. So he seeks to understand a lot of his teammates and he believes in second and third chances. He's even allowing Antonio Brown to currently live at his house. What leader of a team really does that? You don't really have people offering up their houses like that. When you have a quarterback as accomplished as Tom Brady or any player that comes into a new system and a new scheme, as a coaching staff, you need to assess what he does well as well as your system and make adjustments. You can't expect him to just be your Moses. You can't plug a new player into a system and just expect everything to start clicking, especially in this year where there's no real training camp because of COVID protocols. And early in the season, you did have injuries to the top two receivers where they weren't always at practice. In terms of, call, in terms of Tom Brady calling plays, if your playbook is Cheeks, then he has Cheeks plays in order to really pick from you have plays where you have six you have six rushers five linemen and you have antonio brown that's supposed to be picking up free free blitzes um when you have play design like that you're not really going to succeed and i don't really think people understand what greatness is like i said before it's not a plug and play process it takes work it takes time it takes practice it takes patience it takes adjustments Anyone who thought you can just plug in anybody into a new system and just thrive where every other quarterback in Aryan system has struggled in year one, sadly mistaken. So, I mean, I think you raised a number of really good points there. And if we look back to someone like Brady's career, he's had 20 years of dominance. So even if he has a little bit of an ego or a little bit of uh, a prickly personality, I think it comes down to him wanting to maintain that success and and to be honest with you you know listening to everything you've said I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing trying to stay competitive trying to stay at the top of your game uh, being frustrated when you're not there 
Um, I think I'd be more disappointed in a player if they were okay with being mediocre than um, if they weren't if that i would be more upset if a player was okay with being mediocre than a player who was upset at themselves for not being great so um i think i've come around a little bit and i know you've mentioned before that there's a number of things about bruce arians' system in particular um especially in a first year for a quarterback that kind of sets a quarterback uh, up for a little bit of maybe a step backwards or um, a little bit of negative stats to go along with some of some of the other positive stats like air yards and stuff like that. So why don't you take it away and, and let me know what your thoughts are on Arians' system with, with Tom in particular. Thanks, Tristan. When you look at Arians' system, Arians likes to do a very high-risk, high-reward offensive system where he's asking you to make reads from deep to short, whereas most other systems in the NFL are asking you to go from short to long. So that means that everything is reversed. He wants you to take deep shots, but those deep shots are very low percentage. When you're taking low percentage throws, chemistry with teammates is more important. Doesn't matter who the signal caller is, whoever the quarterback is, it makes no difference. You're also going to throw more interceptions and you're going to be pressured more. Every other quarterback that has played in Bruce Arian's system in their first year under him, they have all thrown at least 18 interceptions and they've all been sacked at minimum of 35 times. Tom Brady currently is 28 touchdowns to 11 picks. As bad as people think he's playing, he's actually not playing that bad when you consider all the mitigating circumstances. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense is top 10 in the league, and they also don't rush the ball very well. When At you all. don't rush and you don't balance out your passes to where you're running the ball, you're going to be very predictable to the defense. The defense is going to expect you to not run. They're going to expect you to take those shots, and they're just going to drop back extra safeties and coverage and make your life a little bit more difficult. Despite this, Tampa Bay still has a top 10 offense. What needs to happen is that Bruce Arians and Tom Brady need to sit down and they both need to adjust the system. Right now they have a bye week. And I do believe that after the bye week, they can win their last four games. They have two games against Atlanta, a game against the Vikings and a game against the Lions. And they should finish 11 and five. I'd be shocked if they finished less than that. They should win each of those games. Oh, 100%. And the way their offense is set up, to me, it's just a chemistry thing. If you look at their numbers, if they make a f even a few minor adjustments, it'll do wonders for the offensive efficiency of that team. Once they get into the red zone, they usually score. They have one of the higher red zone uh, touchdown efficiency ratings in the league. So when you have that type of stuff, um, it should do well for your team's success moving into the playoffs, especially with this bye week. And, and two things uh, based on what you just said. Number one, um, the bye week should probably be, I think it would be very helpful to them because if you think back to this roster and building chemistry, like you mentioned earlier, there wasn't an off season. There was no training camp for these guys to get together and get to know each other a little bit better. Antonio Brown only came into the team, into the picture halfway through the season. And like you mentioned, Godwin and uh, Evans have both missed time with injury, both missed practice time. So having a week to just, and a week doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but in the course of a football season, that can be huge. So I think this bye week, like you said, will be great. And, and the other thing too is, I think a lot of people in the media, and I've bought into the hype a little bit, are talking about how there's so much trouble in Tampa and talking about how Brady's having a terrible season, blah, blah, blah. But he's not having a terrible season 
compared to other quarterbacks around the league after listening to a lot of the stats you've said and a lot of the arguments you've made he's just having a down season compared to Tom Brady and when you take a look at his career his down seasons I mean Aaron Rodgers has said this too his down seasons are other quarterbacks career seasons so um, I think you've convinced me as much as it pains me to say that about Tom Brady but uh, but I don't think that there's as much reason for concern as um, I thought before we started this conversation yeah totally it's lack of synergy when you have lack of synergy and you're throwing the ball deep 50 50 balls now turn into 40 60 balls and then you kind of put your team in a bad situation with that and I do believe that they'll pick it up into the playoffs. I believe that the only teams that can beat them in the NFC are the Saints, uh, the Rams, and that's about it. I don't think the Packers or the Seahawks can really do anything to them. The NFC is still really wide open. There's not a clear lead horse in that, in that conference. With all that being said, I'm not sure that the Bucs are Super Bowl favorites in my eyes. I still think that You've got teams like the Chiefs. Um, the Saints are also really good if Drew Brees can come back and, and be healthy and all that. So I think that I don't think that they're top two or three to me still. I have them losing in the title game. I don't have them going to the Super Bowl, depending Fair, on yeah. the matchup. I have them losing in the title game if they play the Saints or the Rams. Everybody else in the NFC, depending on the matchups, I think they'll be fine. Well, time will tell. Um, hopefully the rest of the season is entertaining and let's hope that uh, all these teams can get their COVID cases under control and under wraps and uh, we have no more issues going forward. into basketball here and we're going to actually talk about the uh, Christmas Day schedule that just got released by the NBA. Um, so the following games are happening on Christmas. It's the Pelicans versus the Heat, the Warriors versus the Bucks, the Nets versus the Celtics, uh, the Mavericks versus the Lakers and the Clippers versus the Nuggets. Uh, JC, which you think, which matchup do you think is the best in terms of a Christmas Day schedule here? Um, I'm going to go with okay, depending on if uh, Kemba Walker is back because right now he he's injured. I, I think it's his, something with his leg, but if he's back, I'm going to say the Nets and Celtics is going to be the game to watch. Even though personally, I won't be watching because the Saints play on Christmas this year. Um, but if Kemba Walker is not playing, then I'm going to go with the Clippers and Nuggets just because it's kind of like a revenge game for the Clippers after they gave up that 3-1 lead. Kind of serves Kawhi right for leaving us. I'm not <laughs> going to talk about Paul George, not to mention Jamal Murray's from Canada. So, you know, let's go Nuggets. But yeah, I just think it's going to be a good matchup because the uh, the Clippers definitely gave up that 3-1 lead and they hopefully they come hungry, but I'll be supporting the Nuggets just because, you know, the variety of reasons that I mentioned. Don't want to really see Kawhi prosper outside of Toronto. <laughs> I'm a bit bitter. What do you think, Justin? Um, I like Dallas and Lakers because uh, we get to see my guy Luka Doncic against LeBron James. Um, I really do believe that Luka Doncic is the second coming and um, looking forward to see him just put up another legendary performance this season. Yeah, I really like him too. Brendan, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm going to go Nets Celtics as well. Um, not even just Christmas. I just want to see how the Nets do with Durant and Kyrie Irving and putting them in the primetime spotlight against a good team mm -hmm. like the Celtics. I think it'll be a good matchup. Potentially, uh, you know, top of the Eastern Conference kind of matchup thing. So I think that's going to be the best matchup, or at least the closest matchup. 
on Christmas. You think even if Kemba doesn't play? Yep, I think so. Okay. And Jason Tatum can take it, take his game to another level a bit, and Jalen Brown as well. So yeah. is the game yeah, in Boston? Game. I'm not sure uh, about no that. Idea. Do you think once we have fans in the arena, they're gonna boo Celtics fans are gonna boo Kyrie Irving? I think fans boo every single best player on on opposing teams at all times. So yeah. Yeah, I th- I think Kyrie's gonna get it same ways anyway though. That guy, I don't know. That guy, cancer in locker rooms. But anyways, he burned Kristen, those you bridges. Have he burned those bridges on his way out of Boston too. Yeah, he burns his bridges everywhere he goes. <laughs> it's true, but Boston fans yeah. are very passionate. Yeah, uh, that's true. For myself on Christmas Day, I'm gonna be watching the Vikings and Saints game. <laughs> yeah, I I figured you would be. <laughs> Um, a second part to this uh, topic here. What do you guys think? Do you think the Do you think the Raptors got snubbed with this? Uh, will get letting off, uh, left off the Christmas Day schedule? I do not, because I look at every single team here in the Christmas Day schedule, and I see a superstar or a star player. On the Raptors, yeah. I see none of those. So unfortunately, I, I am a Raptor, huge Raptors fan, obviously, and they deserve to be in it last year because they had one previously. But mm-hmm. we just can't be having. Uh, a showcase of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet in a Christmas Day game getting slapped up again. So, but don't yeah. you think like all of Canada would tune in for a Christmas Day game? As well, they would. It would definitely help the ratings. But all of Canada is still tuning in to all these other games, so it doesn't really matter. That's fair. That much. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. One of the reasons that the Raptors do get snubbed for primetime games is because the ratings count for us, I believe, but the ratings don't count for for them. Like it's some weird, it's some weird things. You have to get a fact check on that. Yeah, we gotta get a fact check on it. Um, well, next podcast we'll kind of clarify that. Um, but definitely, I was reading something where they were saying that just because of the way the ratings work between Canada and U.S., it kind of de-incentivizes them from giving us as many primetime games. I do think we deserve it, regardless of whether or not we have stars. Because if you look at the Raptors' performance the last ten years, when we had DeRozan. And players like that, we were always in the mix, top four, top five for the Eastern Conference. Um, and we don't get, we don't really get the recognition that other teams kind of get. Pascal Siakam, though, I don't really want to see him prime time because he's a poor <laughs> man's, he's a poor man's little dang. And for all the young people, for all the young people who want to catch feelings for me saying that, go look up Luol Deng highlights and how he played. And go look at how you want Pascal Siakam to play and then tell me I'm lying. <laughs> you are correct with the uh, Toronto Raptors um, not counting towards American uh, viewership ratings. I just looked it up. Uh, Canadian viewership does not count towards U.S. Nielsen ratings, leading to only one U.S. home market being reflected in viewership in any game that the Raptors play in. Yeah. And then wow. to, just to be fair, like you're looking at these games and you're looking at who versus who. Like Pelicans, you're looking at... Zion versus Jimmy Butler. You're looking at LeBron versus Luca. Like if mm. the Raptors are facing anyone here, you're looking at whichever superstar versus Pascal. And that's just not TV, you know? Yeah. But if they that's get Giannis, they're getting Christmas games for as long as they have that guy. So Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. And just to like wrap it up, I think like we should like rightfully so we were in it last year because we were the defending champs. I think they kind of blew it. Well, obviously for ratings, like we were saying, but like if we were going to get a Christmas Day game, we should have got it when Kawhi was here. 
And then not to mention last year, we got blown out, right? But yeah. I think someone was hurt when we played last. Wasn't Pascal hurt last year I on Christmas? Remember. I don't remember who, but someone e- was hurt. Either way, either way, we blew it last year. So we're probably not getting another Christmas Day game unless we get a big-name superstar again. So, um, but just, just keeping on the subject of the Raptors for a quick second, uh, going back to one of our polls that we posted on Instagram, uh, we asked you guys last week how we think the Raptors are going to do in the Eastern Conference. And it looks like we, our viewers still have, or our listeners, I should say, still have a lot of faith in the Raptors saying top four or five, maybe six in the East, and we make it to the playoffs and lose around second round-ish. That's that's kind of the average of where our responses were at. I kind of feel the same way. I'm pretty sure we were all on the same page last week. So we'll leave it with that. We'll wrap up this week's show with just a few quick hits from the world of sports. To begin with, our condolences and best wishes go out to Timberwolves Carl Anthony Towns, who has recently opened up about losing seven members of his family two to the COVID pandemic. So we hope for the best for him and strength for his loved ones in this tough time. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers are trading in their ocean view for deserts and dunes as they're stuck in Arizona for an additional two weeks. They've had to move their home base as a result of pandemic lockdowns in their native county back in California. Uh, Jake Paul and Evander Kane are lighting up the Twitterverse with some back and forth trash talk. Paul has said of the hockey player, put him on the list and I'll put a quarter mil down this time. Evander Kane has responded by saying that he would take the mop off his head and wipe the floor with him. Interesting to see if the two men end up putting the gloves on and going at each other, as I believe Kane is still in the heavyweight class. Interesting to see if Paul would be willing to move up, or if Kane might sacrifice his on-ice performance by going down in weight. Josh Gordon has been reinstated by the NFL. He's currently playing for the Seahawks, and we wish him all the best in his continued battle for sobriety against drug abuse. High school player Emmanuel Duran of Texas got his entire football team from Edinburgh kicked out of the playoffs as he rushed onto the field and tackled a 59-year-old ref. Fred Gracie had just ejected the young man and motivation for this incident has yet to be determined. In lighter news, the NBA will not be testing for marijuana this season. I'm sure this will be welcome news for a few people. Enough of the fans, I'm sure, are already more than happy to enjoy it. Political news out of the Philippines, as Manny Pacquiao has become the leader of the ruling party. The boxer, singer, and politician is speculated to be using this to postulate himself for a good run at the presidential office. LeBron James and Anthony Davis have signed contracts, with LeBron signing a two-year extension worth $85 million, and Davis signing for five years at $190 million. Finally, we have the NBA, which has issued a ban on clubs in the 2021 season. Hmm. You know, that actually might change my outlook on uh, the Harden and Wall being the better, <laughs> the, being the best, <laughs> the benefits of that trade. Because <laughs> I know those guys just live at the club. I don't know how that's going impa- to impact their on So John Wall can hang out with Bloods. <laughs> <laughs> From all of us here at the Scout Team Podcast, we want to thank you once again for tuning in. Big shout out to our boy Alistair Alston for the absolutely fire intro and outro tracks. Hit him up for any of your music needs. And feel free to talk to all of us on our Instagram page, the Scout Team Podcast, as we keep answering your feedback, criticism, and suggestions. Thank you so much for tuning in. From all of us here, this has been Will, and we'd like to wish you a fantastic evening. Producer Will, we love you, boy. 